listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your guitar scientist with over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars. This is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, guitar opinions. Sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. This is a question and answer episode where we will respond to listeners' submitted emails. I will read the questions and Eric will try to answer them. That's right. Uh, so we've got a lot of really good questions, questions about truss rod adjustments, questions about pickups, questions about how to restring your guitar. You know, it's good to touch on the simple things and the complicated things. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, all of the, all of the above questions about volt ohm meters. Yeah. Lots of good questions. Sweet. So what's on your bench? Uh, I have been working on some interesting stuff. I, uh, I had a, and I had never seen one of these before, but it was a Hagstrom, a beautiful Hagstrom electric arch top guitar that was designed by James D'Aquisto. I have no idea who that is. Well, I'm sure a lot of our listeners do, but I didn't know that he designed this guitar. He's, he's, he's a famous, I believe he's New York based. He's a famous jazz archtop guitar builder. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, but I did not know that he designed a guitar for Hagstrom. Mm, yeah. Hagstrom's, Hagstrom is a Sweden, a Swedish-based guitar company. And uh, it was really an astonishing guitar. It needed a neck reset. And uh, I was a little hesitant to get in there because I didn't know what was going to be going on with it, so... I stuck a mirror in there and poked around a little bit, and I was astonished to find that it was a bolt-on neck. It didn't look like a bolt-on neck from the outside. Wow. And it was like a tailor. It was bolted on like a, like a tailor would be. Which is? Uh, tailor acoustic guitars really kind of pioneered, at least I thought they did, a bolt-on dove, instead of a dovetail glued uh-huh. in neck joint, they have a bolted-on mortise and tenon joint where the the neck kind of attaches to the body and then there's two bolts or one bolt that goes in through the block on the inside of the guitar perpendicular to the neck the, through the neck block and yeah uh yeah that yep and uh through the neck block and into the heel interesting yeah and uh 
I was astonished to see. I had never seen a guitar this early with that design. What year was it? Uh, 70s, probably 75, 76, something huh. like that. Yeah. And I don't think Taylor had started. I don't know. I don't remember when Taylor started doing their bolt-on necks, but I think it was, I don't know, 10 or 20 years after that. Wow. Yeah. So then did how did... You took the neck off and reset it? Yeah. So the neck came off. Um, it also had a... The strap button was a machine screw that screwed into an insert as well. Yeah. Interesting. So I took it off and reworked everything and then put it back on at the right angle. But um, yeah, really an interesting neck reset. I'd never seen a what I would call a Taylor-style neck joint on a on a guitar that early. That was kind of interesting. Cool. It makes you wonder where he got his ideas. I've never really looked into it. I, I always just figured that Taylor kind of came up with that whole thing. But uh, maybe he uh, hmm. maybe he got that idea from that Hagstrom. They call it the Hagstrom Jimmy, apparently. Huh. James, Jimmy, you know. Cool. Short for James. James D'Aquisto designed Hagstrom. Really a cool arch top. And, uh, I, you know, putting a mirror inside... Looking the other way, I was astonished to see a big, solid block under the bridge. The, the guitar is not a true hollow wow. arch top. It has a big, hefty block under the bridge to keep it from caving in at all. Interesting. Yeah, and to keep it from, I assume, uh, feeding back at high volumes, which can be a challenge on those on those uh, jazz boxes. So that's uh, that was an interesting guitar to work on. It also needed some binding replacement. And what else have I been doing? I can't even remember. I just repaired a whole bunch of cracks on a um, 70s Martin D35. Cool. Yeah, that's always fun. Really? Well, you know, each one is a new challenge because um they 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 don't always crack the same and Sometimes they crack across braces, and sometimes the crack is way down by the uh, the end block, and so it's hard to get your arm all the way in the guitar yeah. to realign. This one had a crack, and it was really pushed in badly, so I had to get things aligned again before I could glue it back up. Wow. Yeah. Sometimes that's a little bit difficult when you can't really reach it. you got to use all kinds of tricks. Cool. Anyhow, that's what I've been doing lately. Uh... If you, um, if you, if you, you know, if you ever have any repair questions or if you need repair help, give me a shout. That's, that's why I'm here, guys. I'd love to, uh, help you out if you've got a problem guitar that needs some solving. We've got a couple calls. Shall we take them? Oh, yeah. Okay. Hey, Eric and Melissa. This is your friend Sean from Allentown. Um. Just want to again say I love everything that you guys are doing with this podcast. Um, and thank you for the advice on the frets for my uh, Japanese catalog guitar. I don't know when I'm going to get to it, but when I do, I will be sure to email you an update uh, on how it went. Um, I do have a question, just a real quick one, actually pretty simple. Um, I have a Mexican Fender with a maple neck, all finished neck, like the Mexican Fenders do. And uh, it's about 10 years old, and I think I'm starting to feel just the tiniest bit of fret sprout on it. And um, I'm just wondering, how do you go about repairing or filing fret sprout on a finished neck? 
Um, seems like there's either an extra level of care and uh, some extra steps on refinishing afterwards or polishing at least. So I just like an expert's opinion on that. And also, just a little clarification, in episode 59, you had an email from me, Sean, regarding um, balance tension strings. That was not from me. Um, <laughs> it's from another Sean. I just want to make sure credit goes where it's supposed to go. So, um, once again, thanks for everything you do, and uh, I'll uh, look forward to your answer. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Sean, and thanks for the call. I don't know if I, uh, and thanks for the clarification. I don't know if I wrongly attributed that. I don't remember if maybe I think I, you uh, did. You did must I? have. Yeah, I must have. Sorry about that. Anyhow, we just assume that good. there's only one Sean listening because we only have about 10 listeners. Yeah. And two of them are Sean's. So I yeah. should, I better keep this straight. And, uh, uh, I've touched on this before we've talked about fret sprout before but he wants specifically to know how to do it on a finished maple neck which maybe i didn't talk about before Mm -hmm. i don't know anyhow uh it's really much the same process if if your fret ends are getting sharp um what i do is i take a file it's a long oh i don't know it's maybe six or eight inches long and it has a uh it has a handle on one side permanently mounted and it's a long flat file it's about an inch wide uh that i got from Stuart mcdonald and it's for it's for spot repairs it's for spot leveling a fingerboard or uh you know frets for for uh for spot leveling frets but it really works great for fret ends um and you'll feel so as you as you you know you'll want to mask off just under the fret ends. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can take that file, you can take a long file, of really any long file should do, as long as you can hold on to it properly. But this is my favorite file because it's got a nice chunky piece of wood mounted onto it. You run it along those fret ends and you'll feel, you know, you'll feel it, you know, chattering against the fret ends there. And once the uh, fret ends are filed down and you're contacting the the painted surface, you'll really feel the difference in in the file. That's when you stop. Hmm. You'll feel it happen. Um, and then, uh, because it's painted, what I do is I will sand it very lightly and usually wet sand uh, with a few different grades of sandpaper. Maybe start with 400, go to 600, go to 800, go to 1200, and then you can use a polish to really rub that out and uh, make it, you know, nice and shiny and there's no scratches or file marks or anything like that. Cool. Yeah. That's how I do it. Um, Sometimes that's not enough if the uh, sides of the fret, sometimes you do that and it actually sharpens where the sides of the fret come in contact with the neck i don't mm-hmm. know how to i don't know how to explain it um and if that's the case there's a couple ways to to uh, deal with that but usually usually filing along the edge and then sanding and then polishing takes care of it cool yeah that's that usually does it thanks for the call sean let's we've got another call here let's take it hey guys uh first of all i wanted to say i really like the show 
calling in with a quick question, something a little different, I think. Uh, I'm restoring a resonator, a steel body guitar resonator, um, and it has a pickup in it right now, which is like a transducer type that's just glued to the cone, and it doesn't have any volume or tone control, so I'd like to add that. I wanted to find out what it would take to add that, or if you had any particular recommendations for uh, what might be a better pickup for a resonator guitar. Anyway, uh, my name is Bill. I'm in Medford, New Jersey. Thanks again, and we enjoyed the show, and uh, hopefully you'll choose my question. Take care. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, of course I'll choose your question. You know, I don't think I've ever gotten a call and not played it on the air. I mean, we play all the calls. They get they get priority over emails. Yep. There are a lot of emails I haven't uh, used on the show, but calls, unless unless it's some weird, you know, prank call I get in the future. Or if the audio quality is too bad. Yeah, I think that happened once, actually, now that you mention that. Anyhow, uh, thanks for the question. Yeah, you can absolutely put volume and tone controls on that uh, little uh, transducer. And it's easy to do. You know, you can just, you know, wire it up just like uh, like any other pickup. You you know, sometimes the taper doesn't really work super well. But um, you can just wire it up to, to a pot... Um, I've seen it done with just, you know, standard rock and roll 500k pots, you know, I mean, uh, that can be done. Here's what I would do, um, uh, wire it up and then try it out before you really hardwire it to the guitar, you know, before you install it to the guitar. Because I don't know what kind of pickup you've got there, and I'm not sure if it needs a, a, uh, I've I've seen it done with like 25k pots. Sometimes I think that's when it's an active system. You'll want to use that. So if you've if you've got a passive system, use like a 500k pot. And if you've got an active system, use like a 25k pot. Uh, but give it a try. See how that works. The other way to go, if you don't really like the pickup, um, I just installed one of these uh, Fishman Nashville Nashville series. Uh, pickups into a resonator and I I really was impressed with the sound. I didn't get a chance to hear it through the special preamp, but even just straight into the amp without a preamp it sounded pretty good. I was impressed. So um there that's a good way to go. There's a number of surface mount um you know magnetic pickups like Lace makes a pretty good stick on uh resophonic pickup. There's a lot of different options. I think K&K makes a great little resonator pickup, too. There's a lot of options, really a lot of options. I'm not sure what kind you've got there. But anyhow, best of luck with that, and thanks for the call. Shall we take some questions? Yes, we should. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Hi, Eric and Mel. I'm learning how to do my own setups, which has been fun. I've got a strat with a seven and a quarter radius neck, and I remember from past podcasts that you recommended setting them as straight as possible. I'm using a notched straight edge to test relief. For necks that have to be removed for truss rod adjustments, do you ever do you over straighten a bit when while in your hand to counteract the string tension that will be applied when you reassemble and tune to pitch? 
Thanks, Scott in Calgary. Thanks, Scott. Yes, absolutely. You have to do that um, if you're if you are adjusting any truss rod without string tension on it. You're going to want to over tighten it uh, a little bit because uh, the the strings are going to pull it the other way. So yeah, absolutely. Um, that's tricky. Those those fender necks that have to be removed to to adjust the truss rod. It's a little bit trickier because you have to do a little bit of guesswork, and sometimes it takes you know two or three adjustments to get it perfect. But yes, that's the trick. So. It, it, if you over or under adjust the truss rod, you have to bolt the neck on, put the strings on, figure it out, and then take it all off again to readjust. That's correct. What a pain in the rear end. Well, there's a reason why guitar techs charge between 60 and and $100 an hour. Dang. Yeah. Well, cool. Thanks for the uh, question, Scott. Appreciate it. <clears throat> Eric and Mel, my daughter and I enjoy your podcast. I want to ask for a detailed description of your method when you string a guitar. I don't have any major issues with my installations, but I'm curious of your method. Can we get a YouTube video with the guitar scientist working his mojo? (laughs) Kelly in Cleveland, Ohio. Cool. Thanks, Kelly. I will take that under advisement. Next time I do a video, maybe that's what I should do. Just uh, a simple restringing video, you know? We need to get you back on the YouTube train for sure. Some people, you know, I would like to do that. Some people very rightly complained that uh, the the audio quality and video quality wasn't very good on my videos. Yeah. And I would have to agree. I was doing it with a crummy little, you know, Fuji Coolpix. Uh, right. You know. A thrift store uh, camera? Yeah, thrift store camera, basically. So... If I and when I get a better camera, I will do that. I need to do that because I I did like making the videos, but I kind of gave up after five or six of them. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I need to get back into it, and that's a good. Uh, that is a a very good idea to do a restringing video or a series of them, because you know there's different restringing methods for different kinds of guitars. Right. Yeah. Thanks, Kelly. Eric and Mel, I hope this message finds you and the family well, and I wanted to quickly say thank you for answering my last question regarding balanced strings on the last episode. Oh, here you oh, go. This is this is Sean. this is the other Sean. <laughs> Your time and brain power is very appreciated. Onward to this month's question. <clears throat> By the way, Sean, have you met Sean from Allentown? Yeah. You guys should be friends. Nice guy. We don't know where this Sean is from. Probably not from Allentown. He's somewhere on this planet. That's for sure. I know you are a minimalist when it comes to your taste in guitars, but I came across a new tuning system recently. That doesn't sound like it's very promising. Uh, That seems to actually (laughs) be pretty cool from what I can see. And I wanted your thoughts on it. It is called... By the way, I'll have the opinions, okay? (laughs) (laughs) You just just read the questions. (laughs) It is called the Evertune Bridge, and it can be retrofitted to just about any guitar model or type. It completely changes the way your guitar stays in tune and how your tuners work, and it is designed to use the saddles to balance the string tension of your strings alongside the springs under the saddle. Once set up and your strings are in tune, they never go out of tune. In my head, it is best described as a balancing act between the tension of the strings and the springs of the bridge. He included some links here to show how it works. 
As always, thank you both for all you do and all that I have learned from your podcast. I just ordered my first vintage Harmony acoustic that needs a neck reset to start getting in deeper into repair, and I totally blame you for it. <laughs> have a great day, you two. Sean. Thanks, Sean. I checked out, he, he sent me some links uh, to some videos about how it works, and I've actually, I've seen this before. Um, honestly, my problem is, uh, I'm too much of a minimalist and a traditionalist. I just can't get into innovations like this. I'm sure it works. Oh, I have no question it's an improvement, but I don't want a Darth Vader looking thing on my guitar. So that's me. That's just me. I'm a traditional minimalist and I don't have a problem with the way, say, a Strat tremolo works already. I can... You know, by putting graphite in the nut slots and making sure it's set up properly, uh, I don't have a problem keeping them in tune. Right. So um, it's kind of like trying to design a better skateboard, you know? It does what I need it to do. I don't need a better one. Right. So that's me, but I appreciate the uh, I appreciate the heads up. So it says once, once set up and your strings are in tune, they never go out of tune. How is that? Because don't strings stretch? They sure do. And, you know, I, we were promised the same thing in the 80s when the Floyd Rose tremolo came out. Hmm. It's just... Uh, I believe that to be some marketing hype. I really do. You know, if that's true, that the strings, that you it cannot go out of tune then that's pretty astonishing. But st still, you know, I'm back to, I don't, I don't need it. Right. Anyway, that's my two cents. Thanks, right. Sean. I appreciate it. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I just started listening to your podcast and I really enjoy it. I've been wanting to build a cooter caster for some time now. I've settled on my pickups, Lawler string through and gold foil, but that is about all. Of Do you know what that is? A cooter caster? Uh, we've talked about it's, it before. It's an unfortunate name. I know. Every time However, I say it, I think I'm so that's sorry. not good. Well, it's the guy's name is Rye Cooter. Yeah, Cooter with a with D. A, with a D. Not yeah. Cooter. No, that's right. Uh, anyhow. Anyhow, I am now stuck in the hunt for the perfect body and neck and need help. I intend for this to be a mainly a slide guitar, but with the ability of playing some chords on in the first through third frets. I flip-flopped between a cheap Squire that's basically just needs the pickup installed or piecing together a top-quality body, neck, and hardware. Since it's mainly a slide guitar, what would you recommend? Will the wood quality and hardware make a huge impact like a normal guitar? Help me get out of the start gate on this project. Thanks, Mike in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Thanks, Mike. Uh... How much do you want to spend, my man? I mean, I think that here, here's here's the answer to some of your questions. Will will the wood quality and hardware make a make an impact like any other guitar? Yeah, sure. You know, you're you're putting your time into a cool project that when you're done with it, you want to be proud of it. So when you go show it off to your buddies, do you want to say, "Hey, look what I did to this squire," or do you want to say? Look at this awesome guitar I put together. On the other hand, do you really want to finish a neck and body and, and go through all that process? Or do you just want to find a $200 Squire and replace the pickups? Yeah, so there's there's a number of ways to go. I mean, and really it's up to you. It, it, here's, here's a thought, Mike. This is not going to be your first 
that let me let me rephrase that. This is not going to be the last time you do this. You're going to do this and you're going to go that was rad, but I think I can do even better. And then you're going to make another one. And this is my this is just my uh your experience. Th- just from my experience. Um you've got the bug, it's bitten you now and uh wherever you start, it will not be where you finish. So um just dive in with whatever you can come up with. You know, sometimes I'm thinking about a project like this and the guitar the right guitar for the project will just present itself like Right. Here I am. Maybe that's already happened to you. I don't know. But um you know, there are cool guitars that uh I sometimes use for projects like this that Harmony made in the 70s. And they're even cheaper than Squires. Wow. A Harmony H80T H80T is a Strat knockoff made by Harmony, and they're pretty they're pretty cheap. Really, to really get the most out of them, they usually have to be refretted. But um, I like their necks. They're and they're vintage, so they kind of have a cool vibe to them. But they're really a good platform for building a Cootercaster, I think. Well, I've, I've a done co- a dozen of them on on those Harmony Strats. I thought a Cootercaster was on a Telebody. A, oh. a cooter caster is a strat with usually a Valco Supro lap steel bridge pickup oh. and a Tysco gold foil neck pickup. That's usually what a what a cooter caster is. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, it's hard for me to make a recommendation, Mike, because there's a million different directions you could go with it and uh I you know. What here's 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 an idea. Do it, and then send me a picture. That's a great idea. Why are you laughing? <laughs> okay. Let's take another question. I want to learn more about guitar electronics, so I ordered a volt-ohm meter online. It's neat, but I have no idea how to use it and why. Can you explain the basic functions of a volt-ohm meter and what I would use it for in guitar wiring? Yeah, sure. Ben. Sure, Ben. Uh, a volt-ohm meter is fun. Here, a couple things that it'll do. It will test continuity. So, if you have um, a pickup or any 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 kind of anything that should be making contact, like you can test uh, to make sure everything's grounded. Um, it's hard for me to explain the giant knob and what you should turn it to, and how you should do it. I'm sure there's plenty of good. Uh, Here's an idea. I should do a YouTube video about this. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. I guess we need to get a camera. Yeah, I guess so. A camcorder. But the basic functions as it applies to a guitar is you're going to be testing... Um, basically, you you can test resistance with it. So you can, you can check a pickup and uh, check its... Uh, uh, check its resistance... So the the big knob is different units of measurement, is mm-hmm. that correct? So yeah, so there will be a section for volts, mm-hmm. a section for ohms. So like if you wanted to test the resistance of a pickup, mm-hmm. what would you turn it to? Ohms. Okay. And then you want to uh there there will be several different settings. It'll say like, you know, I don't I don't remember what all the numbers are. It'll say like 10 20 100 200 
you want it to set to the number just above what you think the pickup's going to be. So I put, uh, when I test pickups, I set that knob to 20 in the ohms section. Mm-hmm. And then you can use your two probes, make sure that they're plugged into the, you know, one will be in the ground and then one will be uh, in the hole that says ohms. And uh, then now you've got the your two probes, you can check one wire from the pickup and the other wire from the pickup and you should get a reading of anywhere between on a pickup anywhere between three or four or five six seven eight twelve thousand ohms cool yeah and but it'll say like if it's a tele pickup that's seven thousand ohms it'll say seven point oh basically hmm yeah what else can you use it for um, you can use it to test a fuse, it's to see if a fuse has blown. Are there lots of fuses in guitars? In guitar amps. Oh. You can uh, troubleshoot uh, electronic electronics in a guitar, you know? Mm-hmm. You can see if you've got continuity between your jack and your pots or whatever, anything else, you know, your... To see where the the problem is, if you have yeah. you're having a problem. Yeah, there's a setting on there that you can set it to where it will just it will just make a tone when you touch the two probes together. Mm-hmm. You touch them together and it goes beep. So now you know that when you hear that sound, there's continuity. Mm-hmm. So if you if you touch one of the probes to the housing of the jack, and then the other one to the in a strat the tremolo claw and it beeps, then you know that the tremolo claw is grounded. Okay. Cool. Yeah, so it's just a troubleshooting device, and uh, it it's a way to get accurate readings off of things like pickups and pots. Say you have a potentiometer, and you don't know if it's a 250k ohm pot or a 500k ohm pot. You don't know. You could um, touch the probes to the outer lugs, and it'll tell you. Cool. Yeah. So a lot of things you can do with it that apply to guitars. And it's a good thing to have, especially if you're going to be doing much in the way of guitar electronics and guitar pickups. So thanks, Ben. Shall we take a break? Let's do it. We'll be right back after this. It's hard for me to talk about the guitars that I make. I feel like I'm bragging or I feel like I'm being a pushy salesman. But I'm not above reading unsolicited emails from happy owners of my guitars and uh, calling it a commercial. Hi, Eric. Hope you are doing well. Just wanted to follow up and say that I love this guitar. The tonal difference in all of the switch positions is amazing. The neck is so fast and straight, and it's very light. Most importantly, the pickups are incredible. Any tone is available. Nate. Well, thanks, Nate. I'm so glad that he's happy with that one. Eric, thanks so much for making my favorite guitar. I've owned so many, and I can't figure out why this guitar feels like the one that I've been playing with my whole life, even though I've only had it a month. Thank you, Eli. Right on. You did it again, my friend. Why do your pickups sound so f***ing good? (laughs) David. (laughs) You know, I tell people it's it's like making a cake. You gotta have the right recipe, you gotta have quality ingredients, and you have to, it all comes together in a certain way. And if you do the wrong thing at any certain step, then 
you end up with a bad cake. Right. It's like making a delicious, very good-sounding cake. Go ahead. Recently purchased the Nitro Blonde pinup custom guitar you made. The intonation, resonance, playability, and that amazing tone in all three coil selections is by far the best I have ever played. I plug in and can't stop playing for hours. I will probably sell both of my other guitars and get another pinup. Thanks, Douglas. That's what I like to hear. Douglas, thank you. And you guys are so nice. You can see these lovely creations at pinupcustomguitars.com. That's P-I-N-U-P, like pinup girl, pinupcustomguitars.com. As you may already know, I make custom leather guitar straps. I hand make each strap from start to finish. I start with a hide of some of the finest vegetable tan leather on the market. Each hide is chosen for exceptional quality, color, and grain. If you haven't been to my website lately, you need to check it out. I've got a bunch of new strap designs and colors listed with more on the way. If you don't see the perfect strap, contact me with your custom order idea. Visit malcoleather.com to seek examples of custom orders I've done in the past. If you're a dealer, I offer competitive wholesale pricing. Email malcoleather at gmail.com for details. Find me on Facebook, Instagram, and of course, Etsy. If you're listening to this, you get 15% off when you enter code FRETFILES at checkout at melcoleather.com. That's M-E-L-C-O leather.com. Hi, Eric and Mel. I want to attempt a refret on a cheap strat that I have, but my biggest worry is that I'm going to chip the fretboard all up. How do I remove the frets professionally without chipping the board up? Rich in Texas. Thanks, Rich. Uh, does he say whether it's maple or rosewood? He doesn't, does he? I would assume maple, but... Well, not necessarily. Oh, it, it, it doesn't be... say the lacquer. It just says the fretboard. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't say... Either way, the the process is the same. Here's how I do it, and here's how every luthier that I've ever met does it. Um, pretty much, anyway. Uh... You want to get um, some fret pullers. They're little tiny end nippers that have been ground flush, so that they can, so that they can, uh, as you squeeze the handles together, um, they go underneath the fret and gently pull it up, while at the same time putting downward pressure on the fingerboard, so that so that your wood doesn't chip out. But before you go tearing in to the frets with that tool, you want to prep the area first by, I use water, I put water around the fret, and I take a nice hot soldering iron, and I run it back and forth across the fret, and the water will boil, it actually will just boil, and you'll get steam, and that's um, softening up everything there, and drawing some moisture out of the wood, drawing oils out of the wood, to lubricate the slot so that it comes out easier. Don't you score it, too, if there's lacquer on the... If there's lacquer, because, you know, Fender usually, or at least old Fenders did, um, they fret the neck and then they paint it. So a lot of times there's lacquer up, coming up over the edge of the fret. So it is a good idea to score that if you've got lacquer coming up over the edges of the fret. If it's a rosewood or an ebony, if it's a cheap strat, I'm sure it's not ebony, but if it's a rosewood fingerboard... 
then there will be no finish there that you have to worry about. But if it's a maple fingerboard, a lot of those do have finish over the frets. So you have to score through that before you start pulling frets out. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Good luck with that, Rich. Let us know how it goes. Yeah. I'm going to attempt to refinish a guitar that I finished a few years ago, and I was never happy with it. Should I sand it or use a chemical stripper? Which is the best way to go? James T. Are you laughing at the word stripper? Yeah. One time Eric's mom gave us a, a big jug of stripper. A big jug of stripper. <laughs> Thanks, mom. And it made me laugh for days. Uh, I don't know. It depends on what you painted it with. Um, you finished it, so I assume it's like, uh, it's not a factory hardened polyurethane finish that, that, you know, like if you tried to use, if you tried to use a paint stripper on a, on a poly finished like Epiphone, that's going to be a tough job. You know, that's really tough paint and, uh, you know, just your standard Home Depot, you know, paint stripper isn't really going to touch that stuff. So I assume you used lacquer though. Uh, I'm just going to assume that. In in which case, I would try the the uh, chemical stripper first because it's way less work. It really is. Um, I like uh, the citrus stuff. What is it called? Cit- citrus solve. Citrus strip, I think. Citrus solve is a solvent, a cleaning agent. Oh. Citrus strip. Yeah, it's an orange pasty goo that you put on there. And you let it soften up the paint, and then you just scrape it all off with a, with a, a plastic, you know, scraper. Is it pretty wicked? It's pretty slick, and it's really, it's not super toxic. I mean, it's not, you know, I wouldn't want to drink this stuff, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Like you don't need to, you don't need to gear up in a moon suit to use it. You should use a respirator, though, probably. I didn't when I used it. It just smelled kind of nice. Well, that's why you're gonna die. It smelled like oranges. Wow. It was nice. Try that stuff. Citrus strip. I like that stuff. It works well. And if it's a homemade finish, a homespun finish, uh, it'll probably work really well. So try that first. And if the if the chemical stripper doesn't work, then go move on to sanding. The problem with the stripping agent is that uh, you really got to make sure you get all of that off before you start trying to finish it again because... If there's any remnants of your of the stripper on there, um, you're going to have problems with your finish. And with your wife. Yeah. <laughs> he asked about strippers, okay? Look, I'm not going to, you know, he he asks a question about strippers, I'm going to I'm going to answer it. Uh, <laughs> well, thanks James. Thanks James. Sorry we laughed at your question. I got a free drill press from my neighbor. I was really excited. No, not me. The, this guy. Oh. I was really excited about it, but this I... This question rings a bell. Didn't we do this question once? I don't think so. Okay, go ahead. One time we got a free drill press from our neighbor, so maybe, maybe that's... Maybe that's one. <laughs> uh, I got a free drill press from my neighbor. I was really excited about it. I know that guitar repair guys use them a lot, but I started thinking about it, and I don't really have a clue what to use it for. I know this is a dumb question, but can you fill me in on what exactly I can use my drill press for? Is it just for drilling straight holes through things? What other 
What other functions does it have for a guitar guy like me, Robert in Arizona? Cool, Robert. Uh, well, I don't know the extent of what kind of stuff you're doing, uh, if you're a tech or a luthier or if you're just a tinkerer or what, but, you know, the drill press, can it has all kinds of good functions. Um, it is very good and very handy, and if you only used it for this, it's worth having. Very good for just drilling perfectly good and straight holes uh, into things. Right. You know, when you go to put... Um, dot markers in a fingerboard you put a brad point bit in there and you can clamp the fingerboard or the neck whatever you've got to the uh you can you can clamp it to the drill press and then you know you can lower the drill bit and just line things up perfectly it's so much easier to line things up perfectly with a drill press than it is with a handheld drill it's really something that's worth having just for that just for that function, it's worth having. Drilling yeah. drilling exact holes, you know. When I make a guitar bridge, that's what I use. Um, it There there are other functions with it. Stuart McDonald sells some neat things that uh, you can attach to a drill press, like they have a planer. Called, wow. It's called a safety plane. It's just a little, just a little tiny planer. You, you can plane wood with it. Uh, I have a set of round, you know, barrel, uh, sanding barrels. Oh, yeah. So it's like a spindle sander, kind of. Yep. So I, you know, I use mine sometimes as kind of a spindle sander with those attachments. All kinds of things you can do with it. Before I got my Arbor Press, I used to use it to stamp my logo into things. So yeah. if you're stamping logos or doing stuff like that. Absolutely. That's another thing you can use it for is is like an arbor press. I used to use mine before I before I got an arbor. Uh, I used to use mine to um, install Alnico rods into pickup bobbins. Wow. Yeah. So it's it's a pretty handy thing to have. Uh, did he say it was a? He didn't say anything about what it was, but yeah, a drill press, free drill press is pretty good, man. Yeah. I mean, I like that. So That's pretty awesome. Yeah, if you're doing if you're doing a whole lot of woodworking or a whole lot of uh, uh, other things like making pickups or sanding or you know, it's going to be handy. You will like it. Nice. Absolutely. That just about does it for the questions. But I did want to touch on one other thing. You know, I keep. I keep getting emailed the same th threads from the same guy on all these guitar forums. Separate guitar forums, same guy? Yeah, he's on a bunch of different guitar forums. We talked about it last episode. Oh, the guy okay. who's talking about pickups. Yep. And people keep emailing me uh, links to the threads, like, you know, and it's interesting, you know, and, and please, you're always welcome to email me things, but... I quit posting on those on those forums a long time ago. I I used to be a member of the TDPRI, that's the Telecaster discussion page. And I've been in Strat Talk and a couple other of the forums before. There's one that's less Paul centric. I can't remember what that's called. Yeah. Anyhow, um there's a guy on there that's just been going nuts about pickups and what he's done is he, he's taken a whole bunch of pick, you know, any pickup he can get his hands on and taken a number of measurements. 
the, uh, he's taken, um, you know, like a, like a spreadsheet, like a spreadsheet. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. A spreadsheet of all these different pickups and, uh, taking, taking all this data about all these pickups. And, uh, it's an interesting thing that he's done. And I applaud, I applaud his uh, efforts in that, but what I don't, I really don't get <laughs> is, um, he just hates nice pickups. He just, he just absolutely lambasts, um, expensive and boutique and handmade pickups. And I don't get it. Anyway, he decries what he, he calls, uh, scammy overpriced basement pickup winders that have popped up recently. He says, and I quote, the formula is always the same. The pickup winders say, we've spent countless hours painstakingly documenting every mysterious detail that made vintage pickups magical. We won't share that information with you or even provide a speck of proof that any such information actually exists. We don't disclose ohm readings for several reasons. He continues saying, and I quote, it's total BS. Don't fall for it. Just buy several sets from Tone Rider or GFS. Get some Alnico 2, some Alnico 5, some Overwound, some Underwound, and you can try out the whole gamut for the price of just one of those overpriced sets. So this guy, he's on all the internet forums, and, you know, he it's cool. He took it upon himself to build this cool spreadsheet that I saw, and it documents all the technical details from all kinds of different pickups. Um... All kinds of pickups, you know, factory Fender pickups, Gibson pickups, cheap Asian replacement pickups, boutique pickups. But the problem is that he he thinks that this data is really going to help you understand what the pickups really sound like without having to try them. And I I disagree. And now he claims that boutique pickups are basically all a, all a scam. And that cheap Asian-made pickups sound every bit as good. I, maybe I'm missing something here. I, I didn't read everything. I breezed through several pages of his posts. I, I mean, I don't have time to digest a hundred pages of it, but I can tell you, if you can't hear the difference between boutique pickups from like a small quantity, high quality USA pickup maker like myself, if you can't hear the difference between high quality pickups like that and the pickups from, say, GFS, which he recommends, then... No, the cost isn't worth it. Right. Me, I hear a big difference. And I know a lot of other people do. Uh, and I can tell you, I've tried... Look, I'm not just a guy on the internet forum, okay? <laughs> I'm, I gotta tell you, I, and I don't, you know, say this to brag or anything like that. I have tried and heard thousands of pickups. Because it's my job. It's what I've done for 20 plus years. My full-time job is, has included installing random pickups into guitars that people bring me, you know? Yeah. And they, I mean, they bring me every kind of pickup imaginable. From expensive to cheap to rewound to vintage to, I mean, just everything you can imagine. And I've, I've never been impressed with the average cheap mass-produced Asian guitar pickups like you get from GFS. In fact, I ordered one of their Dan Electro lipstick tube pickups 
and it sounded so bad, I just put it in the garbage. I didn't even want to try to pawn it off on somebody or try to sell it for five bucks. I literally threw it in the garbage. It was garbage. Wow. It sounded so bad. I think they make terrible pickups. Am I biased? Yeah. I mean, I am. What can I say? Probably, you know. But when I go gig or record, I want good tone, and I make my own pickups in my own guitars, unless I'm playing a vintage guitar, and even some of my vintage guitars I've wound the pickups for them. So, I think there's a big difference between quality boutique pickup makers and those that you would get from a company like, say, GFS. Is there a price difference? Yeah, you know, you can pick up pickup you can get pickups you can pick up pickups <laughs> for about 30 bucks from gfs maybe even less sometimes wow. gfs is guitar fetish something they have Store. a website yeah they have a website and from what i understand they're just rebranded uh uh i think they're made by a company called altec they don't even actually make the pickups they're just rebranded right you know they're marking them up so right. they buy them for probably a dollar I mean, I don't even know how cheap they have to get them to make a profit, but they're selling them for super cheap. Anyhow, if you can't hear the difference between nice pickups and cheap Asian garbage, then, you know, by all means, go buy the GFS pickups. And and I applaud the guy. I really do. I don't even want to say his what his name was on the forums there, but see, I'm... I'm one of those makers that he's talking about. Right. I mean, maybe not personally. He, maybe he doesn't even know I exist. But what I'm saying is I'm one of those guys, you know, that he's decrying as people that won't tell their secrets. Well, yeah, I won't tell my secrets because I earned them, dude. Then I hear a difference, you know. And I, I really don't care what people who don't hear a difference think about it. Right. You know, I'd rather they bought cheap Chinese pickups anyway. I, re- I you know, not to be harsh, but I I hear a big difference, and I know a lot of other people too, because because I I sell my pickups to people who love them, and they hear a difference. You know, uh, it's like you know, you look at his spreadsheet, and it's pretty it's it's impressive, right? But here's the problem with your spreadsheet. Okay, you could take let's. Let me give you an analogy. Okay. You ever made scrambled eggs? Many times. You can make scrambled eggs, mm-hmm. and I can make scrambled eggs, and then Julia Child could make scrambled eggs. Well, mine would be the best. And then we could take those scrambled eggs, and we could make a spreadsheet. We could weigh everybody's scrambled eggs. We could take a chemical analysis of everybody's scrambled eggs, right? Mm-hmm. We could look at it under a microscope. You know, we could get all this data about Gordon Ramsay's scrambled eggs, Jacques Pepin's scrambled eggs, my scrambled eggs, your scrambled eggs, and then we could get our four-year-old son to scramble some eggs. Right? Right. Put them all on a plate, and they're all... From a scientific uh, viewpoint, almost identical. Right. They're eggs that were cooked, and now they're congealed into a warm mass. 
Okay? <laughs> Sounds delicious. Doesn't it? Now, if you go and try those scrambled eggs and taste them, some of them you're going to really like, and some of them, you know, are not going to be so good. Scrambled eggs, really, there's an art to it. The same thing is true for pickups. Yes, you can take a lot of scientific measurement and data about pickups, and you can say, well, these have an output reading of this, and these have a resonant frequency peak of this. Does that tell you exactly how it's going to sound? Sometimes you just have to listen to stuff and use your ear and discern what sounds better and what doesn't. Yeah. Not everything is boils down to this really super hyper scientific stuff. Now sometimes it that it helps and it's useful information, it's certainly useful information. But somebody who's really talented at making guitar pickups and who uses really high quality materials, it's like having a gourmet chef make you scrambled eggs. You're going to taste a difference. You're going to hear the difference in the pickups. Yeah. This is my opinion. Anyway. I have an idea. Yeah. So remember years ago when we first, when you first started the podcast, you did the, the magic box. What, what was that called? Oh, the capacitors? The, the, the capacitor. Uh, the test box. Yeah. The lie detector. I the lie it. detector. Yes. Yep, yep. So what I think you should do is do a GFS pickup in your guitar, play mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Do one of your pickups in your guitar, play it, and then do a vintage pickup in your guitar and play it. Record a bunch and, of pickups? Yeah, just record them all together and put them all together. Post it somewhere. That would be fun. We should do that. That would be a lot of fun. Again, I guess we need a camera for that. Yeah, well, that would be fun. And again, you know, I don't mean to stir up a big hornet's nest about pickups. If If you are happy with what you're doing, and if you buy pickups from a cheap Asian reseller and you like them, then give me the finger and do what you're doing. Who who cares what I think, you know? Yeah. But for me, I don't. I swear to God, I've heard thousands of pickups and I've installed, so I can't even tell you, it makes my brain hurt to think of how many pickups I've installed. And then I listen to them, you know? And I hear, I I hear a difference. And part of the reason I started making pickups was that um, that there were a few boutique makers that I wanted to supply the pickups for the guitars that I made. And they wouldn't do what I asked. Right. Because I had, I had, I had messed around with enough vintage guitars, specifically Telecasters, to know kind of what I wanted mm-hmm. and to kind of know... Uh, what made them sound the the way that I liked when when I got a good vintage telly and it sounded how I wanted it to sound? There's something going on with the pickups. That, and again, this gets into the secrets thing, right? Right. You know, but uh, that's one of the reasons why I started winding pickups was because I couldn't get anybody to do what I had asked. And they, they said I was crazy. So I started winding my own pickups. I, it must have been 10 years ago. I think I was... Winding yeah, pickups we when together. we met. Yeah, it was eight or ten years ago. I don't know. Anyhow, that's my diatribe about pickups. I saved it for the end of the show. What are you going to do? Not everybody's going to agree with it. And now I'm going to get even more email about it, which is going to be 
lovely. Do you like the show? Tell a friend. Share it on Facebook or whatever social media platform you use. If you have a moment, give us a five-star rating on iTunes. It does help us reach more people, you know, which that just in turn helps us get more questions and it'll improve the quality of the show. So you should participate. You can go to ericdaw.com, click the contact link, and send in your question or comment there. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. That number again is 757-774-8482. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Good night.